Welcome to Reaching Your Peak, an educational storytelling mini-series of the Elk Talk podcast. This is Corey Jacobson, and today I'm going to be sharing a story from one of my previous do-it-yourself public land elk hunts, and then breaking down a strategy or a tactic that was instrumental in the success of that hunt. Reaching Your Peak is brought to you by Peak Refuel. If you're looking for delicious freeze-dried meals that are made with 100% real ingredients, including premium USDA meats, you've probably already heard of Peak Refuel. Their meals have nearly twice as much protein as the competition, which is important for fueling your body in the backcountry. There's no fillers, no empty calories, just premium nutrition that truly meets the needs of elk hunters. And the taste is second to none. My personal favorites are their homestyle chicken and rice and the beef stroganoff, but they have a huge selection of other incredible meals like chicken alfredo, biscuits and gravy, chicken coconut curry, sweet pork and rice, mountain berry granola, and a whole lot more. If you want to taste the difference, visit peakrefuel.com and use the promo code ELKTALK to save 15% and get free shipping on your next order. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of Reaching Your Peak. And again, as a reminder, if you're liking these story-based episodes, be sure and let us know. And you can just go to elktalkpodcast.com and click on the contact tab at the top of the page and then fill out the form to send us your comments and questions. So I can't believe elk season is almost here. It's either open or it's opening in most of the Western states in the next week or so. So good luck to everybody that's heading out to chase elk. And in this episode, I wanted to do something a little different. I wanted to bring Randy in on the conversation and have a little bit of a less scripted storytelling episode and have Randy dig a little bit more and pry a little more into some of the tactics that we talk about as well as add some entertainment to the story. So let us know if you prefer the more scripted versions that I've been doing in the past, or if you find more uh, entertainment and information from these informal conversations like we're going to have today. So with that, let's jump into another elk hunting story. Well, I'm looking forward to this one, Corey. I've not heard this story, I don't think. so. I don't think you have either. It's uh, it's going to be a good one. But I appreciate you being willing to uh, do double time here and, and join me yeah. in, in these episodes. And Yeah. I, am, am, I, am I to interrupt you in the middle of your story and ask questions, or am I supposed to write them all down <laughs> and ask them at the end? Oh, absolutely. Interrupt at any time. Okay. And if I – see, that's the problem. If I don't write out a story – I forget a lot of the good juicy details and I'm like, Oh, at the end, it's like, I should have added that. And so that's why I've had to script some of these was just to, to make it, make sure I'm pulling some of the detail out. So if there's something you're like, hold on, how'd you go from sitting in your truck, uh, drinking a bottle of mountain ops to, uh, being on top of the mountain with a bull at 20 yards. We, we need to hear some more story there. All right. I'll, I'll try my best. Just know I'm the opposite of you. If you give me a script, I'll read the hi, how you doing? And get to the first sentence. 
and then it's just winging it after that so. goes out the window yep i uh, i have to anytime i do public speaking or anything i have to have a pretty solid script and i don't always necessarily read it but it's uh -huh. there to to get me back on track when i lose my train of thought which ha huh. all right I, well I, where's I this where, where where's this hunt taking place at what year so, and where at so this is we're going to start with a, a hunt here in idaho and it happened gosh four maybe five years ago it was in uh, an episode of destination elk uh but anyway we we started so it's donnie and i and cameraman john and we had an area where for the past two years i'd been able to stop on a pullout and get a bull to bugle way up on top of the mountain mm -hmm. and the thermals were always horrible he, he lived in a aspen or an alder patch right up almost the top of the mountain and it prevented me from getting up to where he was. I'd tried it a couple times and the thermals were always inconsistent. So we stopped there that morning at daylight and bugled. And sure enough, I'm sure it's the same bull that had been there for three years, <laughs> bugled in the exact same place. And I thought, how do you, right. how, do you how do you know it wasn't the same hunter for well, three it, years? Well, it was definitely a bull. This one, okay. uh, he, he had a very real and uh, mature sounding bugles so okay we uh, we put all our eggs in that basket that it wasn't a hunter and besides okay. a hunter would have been crazy to be up there at, <laughs> especially at daylight because uh it was it was quite a hike but the only way we could get up to him was leave the trailhead and bushwhack clear around the mountain into another drainage come up yeah. the back side of the mountain and then mm -hmm. drop down on him because the thermals were, were going to be moving up before we could get up to him. So right. that's what we did. And it oh. took us, I would say, a good four hours to get around and get up on top. And once we got on top, we had marked, you know, on our on our phone right where he was bugling from. So we had a good idea. You know, we weren't blindly just calling off the backside hoping to get a response. We knew we'd be fairly close to where he was. So we sat up there. Uh, we had lunch. We took our time. We were in no hurry at all. We knew he would stay there. He wasn't going anywhere. That's where he lived. And we popped over the ridge at probably one o'clock, somewhere uh -huh. in there, middle of the afternoon. Thermals had, had really settled down and were coming up the hill really constant and let out a bugle. And immediately he answered probably 300 yards down the ridge in that alder patch from us. So, so you're, this is alders is there so when you say it took you four hours was that because there's a ton of elevation because it was really steep because there's thick alders or all the above yes all the above so okay. it was uh all right. i don't i don't remember how many miles but i know it was over three thousand feet in elevation gain Ooh. so yeah it was a it was a brutal one and huh. going up the backside, uh you know we 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 were contending with some brush uh some bluffs so it was it wasn't an easy hike and okay we, uh, that's, that's kind of why we took a rest when we got to the top was we uh we wore ourselves out getting there but that bull was there consistently i knew he lived there he spent the mornings there he bugled there during the middle of the day so i knew he wasn't going anywhere and if so we could get now, the wind good yeah now at this time when you hear a bugle at one o'clock are you thinking he's bedded or are you thinking he's on his feet thinking he's bedded so i was okay. pretty certain he was bedded down in the middle of that 
alder patch. So, okay. you know, they bed there. It's cool in there. Uh, it's noisy. If you try to move in on him, he's going to hear you coming and have escape okay. routes in, in every is direction. It, is this early in September, mid, late September? Uh, mid to late. I think it was around the 17th, 18th, somewhere in okay. there. So, okay. Per, you know, so he might... He might have he, he cows. With with cows. Him yeah, okay. we, we assumed that he's a herd bull and that he has cows, and, okay. and uh, that's how that's how we approached it. So he bugles, and uh, we we test the wind. He's 300, 350 yards below us. We can see the finger ridge that drops down that he's bedded on the back side of. So we have a little bit of real estate there to to move in and get a good setup before we try to call him in, mm-hmm. and being 350 yards away from him i figured we'd probably have to at least cut the distance in half to get him interested enough to get out of his bed leave the safety of the the patch that he was bedded in and come up the hill or at least come across to us so okay that was our plan we uh, we dropped down we dropped straight down we didn't get over on the ridge he was on we stayed over off to the side like we were dropped straight down the hillside and got probably 150 yards from the ridge he was bedded on the backside of so we were probably 200 yards from him we figured so is this like a finger ridge that comes off the main spine or is this the main ridge itself it's just a finger ridge so we had actually hiked up the the main spine of the mountain and then there was a finger ridge that dropped back off into the the opposite drainage the opposite side where we'd got him bugling from so as we're dropping down, he's on the backside of this finger ridge. It doesn't really make a draw. And then another ridge is just more of a, a hillside, a flat hillside. So it's mm-hmm. got some open lanes. It's got some timber. It's got some brush, you know, really good mix of topography and and uh, obstacles there. So we drop down and get pretty much to his level. We're still probably 50 yards up the hill from from his level but there's a really good game trail 50 yards below us that goes right over to the ridge and then drops right into that patch that he's in so my thinking is when he comes out of there it's going to be a perfect place for him to walk he'll end up right underneath us so donnie dropped down the hill to his level and moved probably 50 yards off to my left which would put him behind me and and put me between donnie and the bull so you said donnie dropped down or or you dropped down i stayed up 50 yards above the level that the bull was on donnie dropped down to the bull's level and you're thinking the bull's gonna hear donnie at his level you got an uphill thermal so if the bull comes in he's more likely to come slightly uphill from donnie to try wind any thermal that's carrying scent up from donnie yep so any any if noise. he's going to deviate from that main trail that goes right, right. to Donnie, it's going to be uphill. So we set up uphill yep. of that. I'm still within shooting distance if he comes in on the trail. And the nice thing was there's a huge patch of, of really thick timber 30 yards below me that goes basically from straight below me for probably 40 yards toward the bull. So as he's coming on that trail, we're going to see him in the open go into that timber I know that, hey, he's going to come out, and when he comes out, he's going to be in the open, right in a lane there. So it's, it's a perfect setup. Can you and Donnie see each other at this point? Or we the can't, we can't see each other, no. Okay. And that's the, you know, it, it's tough because if we can see each other, then the bull's probably going to be able to see Donnie and, and won't come into my shooting lane. So Donnie's yeah. dropped down the hill and just over a little, just a little rise there with some timber and is out of sight. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... 
we get set up and everything's perfect. You know, the bull doesn't know we've dropped down the hill. He's still in his bedding area. We bugled once with him and uh, Donnie pipes off on the, the bugles and the cow calls. And sure enough, the bull fires up. And I would say in a matter of minutes, the bulls come out on the main ridge and then he drops off the main ridge towards us and starts coming across that first open. So is Donnie calling aggressively out this time, or is he just trying to sound like another group of elk? So he's pretty aggressive. He, I think okay. he started with cow calls like we typically do. The bull answers the cow calls, and then he challenges him. And every time the bull bugles, Donnie's really good at getting right back in his face and cutting him off. So okay. we're aggressive. We're, we're in his domain. Uh, it's middle of the day. He's not going to be chasing cows up or down the mountain we figure he's going to come in and, and protect his area and his cows, which is exactly what he does. So as he's coming, you know, across that open, I'm able to watch everything, you know, his reactions, his demeanor, and he doesn't know we're up the hill there. He's focused on Donnie and he comes in, comes pretty hard into probably about 20 yards of that timber patch. So he has maybe, a hundred yards left to go to to get underneath me there for a shot and mm -hmm. at this point he's probably only a hundred yards 120 yards from me uh just straight across the hill and i can see he's he's looking he wants to go into that timber but he keeps looking back behind him and so i know he doesn't want to get too far away from his cows and that's that's kind of his hang up so he turns goes back towards his cows a little bit uh, Donnie challenges him again and he turns and this time he goes all the way into the timber. And so I'm thinking he's coming out. So we get an arrow on, I'm ready. I'm locked in on the opening down below us. And for probably a good 10 minutes, it's quiet. You know, Donnie's cow calling bugling a little bit, but the bull isn't saying anything. And I'm starting to think maybe he dropped down the hill under Donnie and he's, you know, circling around, doesn't want to come up the hill. And eventually we see him and he's walking back out the, the side he had come in on and didn't come he's out heading, into our shooting lane. He's heading back to his cows again. Yep. Just okay. didn't want to come all the way into Donnie. Wanted to come and make a stand and let Donnie know that, hey, this is my area, but I'm not coming all the way into it. I don't feel comfortable being that far away from my cows in the middle of the day. Mm -hmm. So he turns and they, he makes a couple stands there in that open and we're watching him and we can tell that he's you know, he's not fired up ripping trees out of the ground, but he's aggressive. He, he's definitely in defense mode that he wants to make sure that nobody gets in with his cows. Yeah. And so I start getting an idea then, you know, and, and we've done it several times as far as just let him go back to where he came from and settle in and then we'll, then we'll regroup. And yeah. I can realize we aren't going to move in on that open where we're at. He can see us, you know, if, if we make a move at all now, he can see John and I at 120 yards away on the open we have to let him either get into the timber below us again and drop down and try to pick which side he's going to come out and ambush him or let him get back over the ridge and then then make another move so we we decided to make another move and you'd asked if donnie could see us he couldn't and so we weren't able to communicate to him hey we're moving in on the bull so donnie's still back in his normal original setup John and I start moving towards that ridge after the bull makes his way to the ridge. And when he did get to the ridge initially, going back towards his cows, he stopped on the ridge top for quite a while and bugled, raked a tree, you know, kind of stood his ground right there. And I thought, I bet he's bedded just right on the backside, 
we get up there on that ridge and we're going to be in his bedroom and also going to take his one bugle there and he'll be in our laps. <laughs> so we slipped in, got up to the ridge, no problem. You know, we didn't have to worry about being quiet or being seen or smelled or anything. So we just literally were able to walk at a normal pace over to the ridge. We climb up on this ridge and I'm literally stopping on the ridge to turn around to John to say, we've got him, you know, he's, he's going to be right down here below us. And as I'm turning to my right to look back at John, there's a cow standing 20 yards up the hill from us looking at us. Oh, no. So that's, you know, I, I can't even think about how many times we've got in close and so focused on a bull that we walk right by a cow or we walk right into a cow because we just, you get locked in, you know, super focused on that bull and his bugling and calling him in. We know there's cows there, but I'm anticipating the cows are going to be bedded down on that bench where where we think the bull's bedded and the cows were up feeding and this cow was right there locked in on us and it wasn't like we were you know a, a glimpse of us behind a tree we're on the open ridge and she's in the open looking at us so i i reverted back to something i had learned probably 20 years before and had tried you know it had stumbled into this tactic completely by accident but what I did was I realized the bull is, he's gone straight away from us and down the hill to where he beds. Yeah. And this cow is up to the right of us up the ridge. So I am essentially between the bull and the cow. Yeah. So rather than freezing and saying, you know, let's see what the cow does. I bumped the cow. I, I purposely made a lunge at her and bugled at her to scare her with the intention of that bull realizing there's a bull on the ridge now He's chasing one of my cows. My cow's busting out of there. I'm not going to go and follow my cow. I've got to go and run this bull off. So and when you did this, were you trying to push her? So you're kind of between the cow and the bull. Yeah. You're hoping that whatever direction or movement you make, it pushes her further away from the bull? Ideally, yeah. If we can split yeah. that cow away and get between the bull and the cow and she runs away from us, that's that's ideal. What happened though was as I ran, you know, as I bugled and kind of, and it was, I screamed a big, just, it wasn't even a, a good sounding bugle. It was a desperate, emotion filled, just blah, just bugled more to scare the cow than to communicate to the bull. And uh, it, it worked, it scared her. And she ran side hill a little bit, but then she turned and ran straight down to where the bull was bedded. And of course, as soon as I bugled, he bugled right back. You know, we're, 60 yards from each other at this point and on and, the ridge that i'm on it's straight off down to him so i can't see more than 20 yards maybe 25 yards in front of me before it drops off abruptly down to where the bull is okay so, so as but I, on on this ridge you're on though you've got enough cover that you're not skylined or out in the open or right yeah and it's it's not okay. a steep you know a razorback ridge so we're able to move just four or five yards off the ridge and not be skylined, uh, not, not have to worry about that. So as I, as I bugle and scare the cow, she turns and runs down towards the bull. The bull screams a bugle. And I thought, once the bull gets to the edge of this sharp drop off, he's not going to come walking all the way up to the ridge. You know, there's a bull up here that's trying to steal one of his cows. He's not going to come up there and go face to face. He's going to want to see that bull. So I moved ahead probably eight or 10 yards, arrow knocked and expecting at any time I'm going to see this bull right in front of us. And 
sure enough, as I'm moving, I look up and I can see antler tips just coming up, right? You know, where it breaks over onto that steep part where I can't see anything below it, but I can see antler tips. So I drop to a knee, I hunker down as low as I can, come to full draw. And by the time I come up to, to a kneeling position at full draw, the bull is standing quartering to us at about 18 yards. Oh, and, and you know, it's quartering two sharp enough that I can't shoot, but he can't come straight at us. There's a log there in front of us and he turns perfectly almost quartering away and starts angling up towards where the cow had run to. And it just, you know, autopilot kind of takes over from there. I've got a bull elk, 18 yards broadside. He's walking from left to right and quartering slightly away. And I just put my pin on his side and I'm following him as he's walking there. And I don't remember if I cow called or I may have cow called to stop him. I may have just shot while he was walking slowly there, but mm -hmm. I shoot and I'm anticipating hearing a, a thump and I didn't hear a thump. I heard the arrow, you know, bouncing off some brush behind him, but at 18 yards, I'm thinking, I just didn't hear, you know, it blew right through him and I just didn't even hear the yeah. thump because it didn't hit anything it zipped right through him well we went up there and looked around at the shot location and and uh noticed that there was a a log that was laying uprooted right there where he had walked to and what i didn't realize was there was a, a piece of the root sticking up oh. right along his vital path <laughs> and upon observation I found the track of a single blade of a broadhead cutting into that root wad, right, probably four yards, five yards in front of the elk. And it deflected my arrow up and we found my arrow laying in the brush behind, probably 40 yards behind where the bull was standing, no blood on it. Ah, <sighs> Corey. Yeah, now all, that you on, got all you... on film, of yeah. course. And, and, and the, so that's out there on Destination Elk or Elk 101 YouTube channel. Yeah, you can, you can you relive the, the, you know, the, the defeat agony. of hiking. And by this time, it's, you know, four <laughs> o'clock in the afternoon, something like that. You know, as we tell the story here, the time that lapses there is, is a good two or three hours. And, you know, it's we've spent all day, put all our eggs in that basket. Everything worked out perfectly. And then one just root that happened to be sticking up in the wrong place. I, I don't know if I was following from left to right and didn't see the root there. And just as I'm moving with the bull moving, I lock in so much on my pin that I don't see yeah. it there in my, in my pin sight window or what, but I hit it and I missed and it's on video to, so I can't, I can't refute the evidence it's there. Um, yeah. But so but it, what, what I went back to was in 1999, we were hunting in Idaho and had a, an encounter with a really big bull. And where I learned to scatter the cows, and that's what we call it, scatter the cows or bump and charge. If you bump the cows, you can charge forward. If you get between them and they haven't bumped yet, then you can scatter them purposely. But the, the intent is you want to get between the bull and his cows. You want to bump them and make them run. So there's chaos there, like another bull coming in and trying to, to break the cows away and get them to run. 
and then bugle mm -hmm. a, a challenge at the bull. And if you're able to do that, especially in a bedding area where the bull is trying to protect his, his territory and keep his cows safe, uh, the, I've never had it not work. It just, if you can do it, it's tough yeah. to do. You know, it's hard to get in between a bull and his cows without any of them seeing you. And it's hard to get in between a bull and his cows when the cows see you and not have them take the bull running off with them when they take off. Right. Yeah. But if you can do it, it works. <laughs> uh, it works. You might even get a chance to hit a, a little root ball. That's right. <laughs> yeah, and so the shot opportunity, you know, if you can get a shot opportunity under 20 yards at a bull elk. Yeah. You won. Yeah, you've won. There's very few things that can and will go wrong at 20 yards that prevent you from, from getting a shot. You know, there's obstacles. Yeah. The bull might be behind brush. You might not get a shot. Uh, the bull might not be at a good angle. He might come in frontal and, and you don't get a shot. Uh, there, there's a handful of things, but getting an elk to 20 yards from you and being at full draw with a bow, the odds are in your favor. Yeah. And uh, So <clears throat> when you made that, so the cows scatter you make this bugle and you can hear oh he's coming yeah now if you heard he's coming there could be the instinct of oh i better get ready right here did you move from there because it seems like if he know if he heard that bugle, my experience with elk is he knows within a yard of where you're standing yeah and if you don't move he's gonna come and he's going to find some place where he can look to see where that noise came from. So you guys moved and he, you, you anticipated how he was going to come in looking for your bugle. And you to, guys, yeah, I mean, to, to a degree, we did move ahead probably eight yards or so, but that was just to gain a better vantage. It wasn't to, to try to okay. throw him. My experience when those elk, when you challenge them, split the cows, they're in their bedding area. When they come in, it's it's with intent. They're you know they aren't coming in and stopping to say where's that bull at forty yards away. They'll they'll walk right into your face and they're looking yeah. for that bull. And all they're thinking is I'm going to go crush that other bull. And <laughs> I don't care if we meet up eye to eye, you know, eye guard to eye guard. I I'm okay with that. I I will yeah. fight any bull that's on the mountain right now to to protect this area and my cows. Yeah. Well, the good news of that was it sounds like it was a clean mess, no blood on your arrow. But it it brings the question, okay, you know that bull likes to live there. Was this enough to spook him out for the season? Or is he a bull that you can continue to have encounters with in future days? Or <laughs> So we, uh, we didn't go back after him that season anticipating that. The area he lives in that patch of alders is small okay. and additionally after we bumped him we listened to him bugle all the way down to the bottom of the drainage and oh. then up the other side. other side okay so he had completely relocated out of that area and i honestly have not been back to that area to to see if he's oh. bugled since so huh so what you're saying is you're going to give some listener that waypoint no, probably not. But I would, I would send somebody that I didn't like a lot. I, I would give them our track of how to get up above him there and say, "Hey, this is the track you want to take. It's going to probably take you four or five hours, and it's three thousand vertical feet. But there might be a bull up there bugling." Hmm. Wait, you suppose that he was up in that? I mean, that's a nasty hole. It sounds like. Yeah. Was he there just because it, 
Do, do you think the cows led him there to be undisturbed or he pushed the cows there to be undisturbed and they could just make their daily living up there? There was enough food, enough water and bedding that it's like, ha, look at us. We, we're not going to get harassed this year. Yeah, it, it, I think it's the cows. So I had a trail camera from uh, that spring that I put up there and we actually picked that trail camera up before we dropped down on the bull to call him in. Uh, I had walked up the front side to put the trail camera up. So I knew what it was like going up the front side and uh, I knew where that bedding area was and everything. But when we picked up the trail camera, it was pretty much just cows on it all summer. And so I think the cows live there in that pocket and they're safe. You know, it's a, it's a really safe bedding area. Yeah. And there's water right there. There was literally a spring 40 yards away from the bedding area. And then they could go up 300 yards up the ridge and be on an open hillside with all sorts of feed up there. And so I think they would feed up in the morning and then drop down 300 yards and bed there all day and then get up right at dark and go up and feed again on the open ridge. So they didn't have yeah. to move hardly at all. And there was just, there was no way they were going to get disturbed. I mean, they yeah. could get disturbed, but there was no way they were going to get ambushed and, and not be able to flee the the danger yeah the reason i ask that is <clears throat> in my continual search of new studies and other stuff there's these studies coming out about things that we think of as off-season activity human activity mountain biking atving whatever it is high high pressure activity human presence in the woods and how it's moving cow elk away from where they might have traditionally been so I'm in my head, I'm thinking, okay, do I need to add to my pre-scouting, my e-scouting, another layer of where is their intense summer activity that's going to move the cows somewhere else? In other words, almost where are the places where there isn't intense summer activity that I might find a cow, a group of cows like you encountered that attracts bull? when yeah. the rut comes so basically you'd be looking for a summer sanctuary instead exactly. of you know, your, your normal post-rut sanctuary where the elk go to when they get pressured from rifle season from hunters now we've got to consider where they go when they get pressured from non-hunting activities yeah and uh, the new studies that have come out it's surprising what little bit of recurring human activity bumps cow elk yeah so I'm, I'm starting to think, okay, where are these places that have mountain bikers and dog walkers and whatever? And can I find a layer on my map that <laughs> I can say, okay, that's where this is happening. Here's the remaining places. These cows now, especially in early season, uh, they've established, all right, here's the place I can go and get fat for the rest of the summer. I'm going to hang out here. I, you know, there's 60 acres or a hundred acres here that I can feed on that the rest of the summer. I got some bedding 300 yards away, man. I, I found my little spot and the bull's going to find them, right? And bulls, he's cruising the countryside. He's going to locate where these cows are at. Yeah. So in my head, I'm in fact, uh, some of the places that I've e-scouted for my Idaho elk hunt, that's starts in early september is to test out a little bit of this theory of 
because the place I'm, I'm going, there's a ton of open ATV trails. Yeah. It's near a popular tourism spot. It's like hikers everywhere. <laughs> there's summer cabins. So, the, you know, there's dog walkers. It's like, all right. If I was one of these general recreationists or one of these cabin owners, where would I not go? Yeah. And those are the places I'm going to go look for cow elk because now... I'm able to, you know, through a lot of the terrain analysis stuff, I can see where the feed is going to be and things like that. So, uh, that's, that's interesting. That's why I was asking a lot of those yeah. questions about how you got there, how far away, what, uh, you know, all that stuff, because, uh, I'm starting to wonder how many of these cow elk groups are getting relocated from, you know, you'll hear people say, Oh, all the elk are gone. Well, is there now new summer activity going on in your hunting area that has happened over the last three years, five years? And that's why the elk are quote unquote gone. Yeah. I don't know if they're gone, but that will displace them to a new spot somewhere within that general area. Yeah. We'll just think, you know, time, time frame wise, the cows, you know, the, the snow melts, the cows start moving back up from their winter range to their summer range in april may june and during that time there's really not a lot of non-consumptive use you know atvs are right. still you know a lot of snow or mud or whatever people aren't out hiking the trails that really picks up in june july why yeah. and that's you know that's when you're going to see the most recreational use is during those months and what's happening right then the cows are having calves yep. and their calf safety is paramount to everything so yep. they've got to have good feed. They've got to have a secure place for their calves. And if there's people walking dogs, if there's four wheelers going by, if there's disturbance and disruption there, if they didn't have the calves, they might be a little bit more apt to, to put up with some of that. But with their calves, they're being vulnerable and they just recognize danger. They don't say, oh, it's, you know, somebody on an ATV that can't shoot us or it's a, <laughs> it's a dog on a leash that's barking. It's not a loose dog that's going to come kill my calf. They just see that as, as a disturbance and they leave. Yep. So that makes complete yep. sense that, you know, think of where the recreation's taking place in June and July. And if you're looking for cows, which is what I look for in September, because I know if there's cows there, there's a bull there. And if that's what you're looking for, you might have to look somewhere else a little bit more, a little bit yeah. more of a, a sanctuary, a summer sh yeah. sanctuary. Yeah. Like, 3,000 vertical feet having to come around <laughs> yeah. the, the backside and drop back down into the alders. That's like, that. that's a serious sanctuary, Corey. Because yeah. I always say a sanctuary is the place most hunters would look at and say, I don't need an elk that bad. That's a sanctuary. When it comes to elk hunting success, confidence is critical. And confidence in my gear and my equipment is something I'm just not willing to compromise. And that's why I shoot a Prime bow. As a mechanical engineer, when I first saw the technology Prime was designing into their bows, I was intrigued. Cam lean had always been an issue on other bows I'd shot, which made tuning the bows and ultimately getting consistent arrow flight nearly impossible. But four shots into my first Prime bow, it was tuned and my arrows were flying perfectly. The draw cycle was smooth and the back wall was solid and they didn't stop there. In the years since I've started shooting a prime bow, they've added center shot technology, which allows the bow to lock on the target and keeps my pins from wandering around. 
They've also recently designed a new cam that completely eliminates cam lean that was previously caused by the offset cable design. Prime bows are continually leading the way when it comes to new technology and technology that makes a difference, not just some marketing gimmick that a marketing department can use to advertise a new model. There's no doubt that the stability of my prime bow has improved my accuracy, extended my range, and increased my confidence. To learn more about prime stability or to shoot one for yourself, visit your local bow shop or go to g5prime.com. And now, back to reaching your peak. And I bet there were a <laughs> bunch of hunters that have been called up that mountain, that have climbed up from the front side there, got all the way up there into that thick, nasty tangle of alders, and got through it and popped out and everything was quiet and they couldn't figure out why. You know, the elk, the elk are there yeah. for a reason and they... They can smell right. you if the thermals are coming up. They can hear you or see you if the thermals are still going down. There's just no way to get in there and approach them. And I can only imagine how many times they've drug a hunter all the way up there, 2,500 <laughs> vertical feet right into that patch of alders. And then the mountain goes quiet. Yeah. They're probably up there laughing, saying, well... At 6.30 in the morning, we'll respond to that guy at about 8.30, yeah, 8 o'clock. <laughs> we'll get him all wound up. And by the time he gets even halfway up here, the thermals will have changed and we'll know exactly where he's at. And we'll just move off to the side quietly. <laughs> and then they go over two ridges away and have a, a, a morning coffee and laugh about it or something. And not to mention, yeah. they know the guy in the diesel truck that pulls into the same pullout and shuts <laughs> his truck off and gets out and waits two minutes and bugles. And they're like, huh. <laughs> it's almost like every time that diesel goes by, an elk bugles down there. Uh, uh, yeah. No, so the... I always preach about sanctuaries because rifle pressure can really drive, and that's strictly hunting pressure that drives out to sanctuaries. Yeah, I'm starting to have all this research that's come out in the last couple of years, and all my reading is starting to get me focusing on where are, as you call them, summer sanctuaries, at least early season sanctuaries, you know, late August, early September. Labor Day, where's the Labor Day traffic going to be? Yeah. Awesome. Well, I want to I want to go back and revisit the uh, the experience in 1999 that turned me on to this. And it was, you know, in 99, I was 24 years old, just turned 24 in hunting season. And I shot my first elk when I was 21. So I hadn't had a lot of, of success, you know, experiencing success up to that point. I was still learning a, a ton. You know, I wasn't a consistently successful elk hunter at that point at all. And we loved chasing elk and I loved running to the top of the mountain following bugles, but <laughs> I, I really only had, you know, a couple tricks up my sleeve that I could, I could try to call a bull in with. And so we had found a, a good bull that morning. He was bugling across the draw. We could see him on the ridge. We dropped down, had the thermals good. They were still going down the hill. And we got underneath him and ended up calling him in, I think, two or three times. You know, he's moving with his cows again, like they do, and would come in and commit to a certain distance, but he'd get 60 yards and then he'd turn and go back to his cows. And we just couldn't bring him in to our setup. And so I knew we were going to have to follow him to their bedding area. And once we got there, we'd have a, a much better chance. So as we're following him up the ridge, 
we're probably 200 yards or so up the ridge from the last place we had had a little standoff with them. And they're moving up the ridge and they drop over to the right-hand side. And we go about 10 yards and all of a sudden down below me and to the left, I hear a bunch of brush crashing and we've obviously bumped something and our sense going down that direction. I know the herd we're chasing has gone up and to the right and didn't smell us and didn't get busted, but something down to our left, probably only 50 or 60 yards below us, busted out of there. And as it's busting out of there, around the hill from it, probably another 60 yards or so, a bull bugles. So he hears all the crashing going on of his cows and he screams a bugle. Well, just out of instinct, I just bugle back. And it wasn't, you know, I don't, I don't even think I had the challenge sequence down at that point, you know, as far as knowing I need to get the last word in, I need to bugle with emotion, you know, maybe it was starting to formulate and that might've, that experience might've helped drive it home a little better, but I just instinctually bugled back at that bull and kind of stood there to see what was going, going to happen. And within a matter of seconds, that bull is at 45 yards broadside from me standing there looking up our, our direction. And I did shoot that bull and got that bull. And it was a, at the time it was the biggest bull I had ever shot. It was a really big six point. Um, But what it, what it showed me was the cows ran off. The bull is there with the cows. The cows are crashing off. He's not as concerned about following the cows always as he is about pushing that intruder away from the cows. Right. And so, you know, that got me thinking, I can try that if I ever get busted again, if cows crash out of there, which happen every hunting season to me, every, every week oh, that yeah. I hunt elk, there's at least two times that I bump cows that are with a bull that they run off yeah. and the ability to, to get between them, or even if you can't get between them, but just bugle and be the reason, you know, it's not danger that busted those cows out of there to that bull it's another bull coming in on top of him. And he's heard these bulls coming up the ridge, bugling at each other. And now all of a sudden his cows take off running down the mountain and a bull bugles right there. He's not thinking my cows are running because of danger. There's a bull that's trying to round up my cows and I don't need to go round up my cows. I need to go run that bull off. Yeah. So in these instances, did the cows see you or smell you? In that instance, the cows smelled us. Smelled you. Okay. Yep. But in the first instance, the cows saw, saw you. Yep. Okay. And I think there's hmm. a, there's a difference generally speaking in how the, the elk detect you. If they see you, they, uh, they know there's danger. They know that you're a two-legged upright homo sapien and, and that's not good. And they run off yeah. when they smell you. It can be from 200 yards away and they might not run off, but they're going to bark. And you're going to know the game's over. Yep. That's what I was getting at is, uh, you know, did you get the the bark of death uh, from from those cows? And if so, would the tactic be any less or more effective? Because my experience is that when a bull breaks up a herd of cows, the cows don't bark. But when a human, when they know it's a human, they bark. And that's probably going to tell that uh, that herd bull, eh, no, they, they, this is another bull. These, those ladies told me that there's some stinky, sweated up hunter up there. And <laughs> I'm, I'm getting the hell out of Dodge. So I think I, I would say a majority of the time you're right, that if a, if a cow is barking and you've pushed him off and you try to bugle at the bull, he's just going to go with the cows. He's not going to take a chance that, hey, they're, they're saying there's danger. There's a bull right. bugling up there 
but there may be danger in addition to that. You know, they, like you said, they probably wouldn't be barking at a bull that's chasing them off or trying to round them up. But I've had, and in that case, the cows did bark. They barked and mm. the bull still came in. So I don't think it always is enough to, to tell the bull, hey, it's danger, that maybe there are times when a bull's trying to steal cows and the cows are barking. You know, it's not yeah. a not a danger thing. It's a, you know, distress thing. Hey, help, there's, <laughs> this bull is, is pestering us and he's not the herd bull. Yeah. yeah, here he comes again. Dang it, That this guy won't leave us alone. Fred, come run him off. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, definitely yeah. if, uh, if the, if the cows don't bark and you get between them and are able to bump them out of the way and, and scatter them away from the bull, I think your odds are way better of that bull coming in. Not saying that they aren't good if the cows do bark, but I think they go up exponentially if the cows haven't alerted everyone yeah. to danger. Yeah. So, you know what we're going to get? A bunch of reports, Corey, of people saying, yeah, I did the charge of the light brigade, like Corey said. <laughs> Man, I almost got stabbed by a, a, an elk antler. He was coming at me while I was running at him. Uh, I, 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 I saw a herd of cows right out in the middle of this meadow, so I just ran out in the middle of the meadow and <laughs> scattered them out of there. And for some reason, the bull didn't come in. That Corey, he doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> Not responsible for anybody getting hurt as a result of this. Tactic. That's right. <laughs> by another hunter or by the elk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so no, the, uh, the, the bump and charge or the scatter the cow tactic is something that's, uh, that's used as a method to try to salvage a setup that's gone bad. You know, when you yeah. bump cows inadvertently, uh, I usually don't just see a herd of cows feeding up a ridge and they don't know I'm there and the bull is across the ridge from them i usually don't just run right at the cows and try to scare them intentionally <laughs> but uh if they get scared <laughs> pretending to be a bull that's coming in there bumping the cows is uh is a really good tactic that's been we've used it several times uh, those two examples you know the one is is where i saw it the first time and and learned it the uh the other one is fun to tell the story uh, partly because I can make fun of myself for missing. Uh, the other part is it, it can, you can see it all unfold and you can see the action happen. Uh, if you watch, I think it was destination elk V2. Uh, we I'll put the, I'll put the link or the, the episode in the notes with it. But if people wanted to go and watch that, they certainly could. Well, now you got my mind thinking about when I'm out here in a couple of weeks, chasing elk with my bow. What am I going to do if a cow sees me and I know there's a bull around? I'm doing it, Corey. Yep. I'm going to try to run her off and I'm going to make the most rip, snort, and bugle I can. And I'm going to just get ready, boy. I'm coming to. You I'll might as well just, just draw your bow. Yeah. Right. <laughs> just, before you see the okay. elk, just draw. You know he's going to be draw. there. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I'm going to do that. But uh, no, that's cool stuff. That's. Uh, don't mean to pester you all the way along as you're telling your story, but I'm just trying to make sure if I'm having the, you know, cause I'm trying to envision your setup and how the mountain rolls and the finger ridges. And so the more of that, you know, I think the more context is provided as you describe it. So totally. Um, and honestly, that's uh, I talked to cameraman John and he was, you know, he's like, man, I love these stories you're doing, but I wish I could ask you questions. Like you, you leave out details. I want to know, you said you bugled and the bull showed up. Did you cow call first and then challenge bugle him? Did you do that? And I'm like, well, that's not the point of the story. The tactic I'm talking about is, you know, whatever the tactic is, and it doesn't have to do with the actual bugling sequence. He's like, I know, but it would be so helpful to know exactly what you did there. 
And uh, so I appreciate you taking the time to come on and dig some of those details out. And uh, hopefully it's been entertaining. I know I've been more entertained talking to you than talking to a microphone. Uh, (laughs) I I appreciate that interaction. And for those of you who are listening, if, uh, if you can let us know, you know, do you, yeah. do you prefer having Randy dig some of those details out and uh, me not having any notes about the the hunt and the experience and the tactics, or do you like kind of more of the, the story reading, storytelling version of it? Be sure and drop us a, a comment on the website and let us know. And until next time, we'll see you guys on the next ridge or mountaintop or wherever the elk are bugling. Mm-hmm.